on air. The future for agriculture is to fill these changing demands and to do it in a sustainable and very long-term way as well. This is On Air by ANZ Institutional. We bring you the latest market-leading analysis and thought leadership from more than 30 global markets, giving you the information you and your business needs to thrive. Welcome everyone to today's On Air, where we are talking about the release of ANZ's Greener Pastures 2 report, which looks into the state of Australia's agri-sector and highlights opportunities for the future. With us today, we have some of the brains behind the report, Michael Whitehead, who is Executive Director Insights at ANZ Institutional. Hello, Michael. Good morning, Jane. We also have Natasha Kemp, who is Director Food, Beverage and Agriculture at ANZ Institutional. Good morning, Tash. G'day. Michael, uh, maybe we'll start with you. The, the report, it's a good one. Can you take us through uh, what it says about the future for Australian agriculture and maybe a bit about what needs to happen for us to get there? Absolutely. Thanks, Shane. The future for Australian agriculture is looking very exciting. Uh, agriculture has been a fascinating industry. Well, I suppose it's been around forever, um, but arguably it's been taken for granted for a very long time. Uh, people grew things, whether they were food, whether they were fibre, wool or cotton, and they wore them and they were always there. But where we sit in history right now, here we sit in 2022, and if we have things like geopolitical uncertainty around us, food insecurity, people wondering where their food's going to come from, or rapidly increasing demand around the world, uh, whether it's because of growing population or whether it's because as people get richer and these rapidly growing middle classes want to eat something different, they need their food to come from somewhere. So the future for agriculture is to fill these changing demands and for the best agricultural producers in the world and Australia is absolutely at the forefront of those agricultural producers to fill these roles, uh, to fill that demand, to do it in a sustainable and very long-term way as well, uh, both for feeding everybody who needs it and also for making sure that the producers, the farmers, the food processors, the retailers, the shippers can continue to do it in the best way possible. Yeah, totally agree. It's very, very exciting to be a small part of Australian agriculture at the moment. It's, you know, a, a privilege to do what we do at the moment. And I see all the hard work that our customers have put in over the, the years and even when it was in drought, you know, a lot of discipline around capital management and also around investing in the right things around infrastructure. A lot of that is now paying off and we're seeing our Australian customers from the farm gate all the way up to our large ASX listed customers really reap the benefits and it's going to be amazing. I'm really, really excited to see you know, some of the insights that um, ANZ have put forward in this Greener Pastures 2 paper come to light and be a little, it'd be a really small part of that, but you know, it's a great contribution that ANZ is going to have too. The report looks back a little bit at the last decade to reflect on sort of what can be learnt from that period. Do you think there's a single key lesson in it for how the sector can approach the next decade? That's a great question, Shane, on whether there is one lesson. I suppose to look at that, we need to take ourselves back 10 years from now uh, and see what the big issue was then. Uh, and the big issue then was almost pessimistic in terms of here's where Australian agriculture sits now. Uh, we know there's going to be a big demand from world markets for food. Uh, we know that we could fill this, but where are we as Australian agriculture going to find the money 
to lift our productivity and where are we going to find the money to buy the farms of farmers who are getting to an age where they want to sell? And to add to that, uh, the big question 10 years ago was where will the money come from? Are we happy with it coming from offshore? And so we, we did worry at the time, we as an agricultural sector and those stakeholders around it. If we take that forward 10 years to where we sit now, and the big lesson that's come out of that was if we as an agricultural country and a combined sector market ourselves properly to the world and make it clear that we have everything from the low political risk to the relatively good sustainability practices to an unsubsidised agricultural sector, which is hugely important, it means we become a very efficient sector as well, then the capital will look upon Australia favourably, will flow here, offshore and domestic capital, and will really boost everything Australian agriculture can do. And that's been the story. The investment came, uh, the investment boosted Australian agriculture, all parts of agriculture worked with it, and we're now seeing the results. Being an old trade girl from trade finance, that's where I learned most of my banking skills. I really think that the big thing for the last 10 years is our ability to export good quality commodities and getting the right price. So the Australian um, agricultural sector should really you know be proud of themselves in regards to being able to tap into consumer markets overseas that wanted you know better for you cleaner greener um you know uh, spec of a commodity and being able to export that so we've really been able to you know obviously china is a big market but we've been able to diversify away from that as well and really build on that and i think for me um obviously being biased from the trade space i think that has been the real highlight in the last 10 years. Tash, efficiency um, comes out as a, as a key theme from the report uh, looking forward. Uh, are there any lessons for larger participants in the sector that should be applying now that can help address this in the future? Well, I think a lot of our customers and conversations we have with them, um, we dealing in the institutional market, it's not necessarily farm gate, but what we're looking at, a lot of our customers around efficiencies, they're looking at how to get their commodity to port, so um, capacity around port is a big efficiency thing that's been um, that a lot of our customers have um, invested in, and in addition, um, rail and things like that, and they've had to work with government as well. So that's been a big efficiency play from the farm gate. But maybe Michael, you can talk a little bit about what you're seeing at the farm gate. Absolutely, and this is where some of the biggest changes have been. One of the big indicators of efficiency has come about through the change in family farm structures over the last decade. As I mentioned before, 10 years ago, we were worried that farmers were getting to an older age. Who was going to take over? By and large, their their children perhaps uh, often didn't want to as well. What was going to happen to these farms? But as capital flowed in, as farmers became more and more able to take on ag tech, uh, able, uh, able to take advantage of rising commodity prices and demand to bring investment back into their operations. Uh, we saw younger generations want to come back, uh, want to be multi-generational family farms, and importantly, to bring with them everything they had learned, dare we say, in the big city, in terms of technology, in terms of financial management, and these other skills as well. What this has meant is that the average 
Huge Australian farm has used these skills to become more and more efficient, to deliver more, whether it's in productivity, uh, whether it's in less inputs relative as well, uh, for what they are producing. So, so we've absolutely seen that. And we have to importantly go back to the other point that Australian agriculture is one of the least subsidised agricultural producers in the world. This is compared to farmers in the EU, in North America, both Canada and the US, in South America, everywhere. Uh, Australia and New Zealand are almost very close to zero subsidies. So Australian farmers have to be efficient to continue to operate in the long term. It means they have to every year keep finding these efficiencies to build their business and they have shown they can absolutely do that. And the last point on this is to do with things like agricultural technology or ag tech. Australian farmers have shown, sometimes almost without knowing it, uh, that they are prepared to try new forms of technology, uh, adapt them where they can to their farms, uh, really learn more about them and bring those on board. Everything from GPS on tractors, everything from ag tech in irrigation, everything from new ways of utilising it in their livestock to continue to get more and more efficient and the results are bearing that out. I agree Michael I mean you look at the caliber of leaders that we work with in this sector and you know they are amazing in regards to people that love the land but also people have gone and you know studied and worked in the city and bringing those skills and experiences back to the country so that's really exciting. One of the things that we've seen is just how much Australian consumers are keen to buy something Australian to eat or buy something Australian to wear um, and the things they value about that. What are some of the things that, that you've seen in terms of what's shaping people's buying decisions and how that feeds back down the agri-production chain? That's right. I am a suburban mum and I do like going shopping. Some of the things that I think and I see a lot of my peers um, doing is buying, you know, good Australian cotton. So you can buy some beautiful cotton t-shirts with, it says on the label, Australian traceable cotton. I know in winter you can also buy some beautiful wool jumpers that I'm not sure if you can know which sheep it was, but you can trace it back to the farm that it came from in rural Victoria. You know, they're the things that people are willing to buy. I can't really pinpoint the price point where people will say, no, I can't afford that or I'm not willing to do that. But I think, you know, at that sort of middle market, if they, there are options there, people will buy them. Um, when you look at things around meat, I think people are comfortable in buying more premium meat. Now, that might change as, you know, we see the interest rate cycle play out. But I think, you know, up until very recently, people's preferences for, for example, you know, Angus, grass-fed, things like that. People are very comfortable in doing that. And then, you know, the big thing and something that, you know, everyone's always looking at is around, you know, things around baby formula, toddler formula. People are willing to pay a premium to make sure that, you know, their little boy or little girl is, um, is getting uh, grass-fed, organic, uh, cow's milk and that's I find that a really interesting concept whereby people are paying a lot for premium goods because they want cleaner greener and traceability. 
So since the, the drought broke, we've seen a continual increase in the price of land. What does this mean for the future of family farms and the elk for the sector in general? Absolutely right. When the rain started coming again at uh, about two years ago, after the drought had been there for a while, the, the grass started growing, farmers started restocking, farmers started planting again, and land that was changing hands continued to be purchased by a range of people. And this is important, whether it was corporate investors, whether it was existing farmers, and it went up and up and up. Where is this going? Arguably, it has peaked, and this will be a big point for discussion. Some land, whether in cropping areas, in livestock, uh, in horticulture, will go up, uh, and and others may be levelling out as well. The biggest driver of this and the way that it links into what you mentioned about family farms is people, let's say, buying the neighbours. We talked about the fact that the family farm is absolutely growing. The two-generational farm where the children have come back from the big city, come back from their education, uh, that their, their partner is now more and more happy to live in a regional area because so many regional parts of Australia and regional towns have so much more to offer in terms of education, in terms of job opportunities, in terms of retail as well. So those family farms are growing and becoming more efficient. And when they do this, they are keen to take advantage and build and buy those finite amount of farms which will inevitably come up around them. So these are the ones who will continue to pay well because they're seeing long-term opportunities. Family farms look longer term than anybody else in farming. They're looking multi-generational. They'll keep paying. They've done well. They won't pay above the odds. They will be realistic. But uh, what they are doing is a sign of the absolute optimism, but also the skills in Australian ag as it looks forward. The first greener pastures made growth predictions that in the end were exceeded. Uh, What kind of conditions do you think we'll need to see to see a similar surpassing of expectations on the road to 2030? Yeah, thanks. I was actually around when they first did the Greener Pastures one. I remember going along to the Port Jackson Partners uh, presentation. It was was really amazing to see, I guess, 10 years. I'm a bit older, I've got a few more grey hairs, but it's really amazing to see the changes. I think for us to continue this trajectory, I think the foundations are there. I see, as I was saying before, in terms of the leaders and the capital management and the discipline around infrastructure, all our customers have that as a foundation. Um, I think, you know, important things around weather, that's obviously going to be important, but that's uncontrollable. But even with that, I think, um, you know, the continuing um, importance of innovation, and you've seen Yields, for example, the cotton yield that's gone up in the last 10 years, how that continues to surpass expectation, that's important. I think, you know, the importance of sustainability that we're coming to see in the segment, building upon that and seeing where that takes us, I think they're the two main big things. People talk a little bit about, you know, getting labour in. That is important, but what has seen and what the Greener Pastures 2 says that even though labour is a constraint, the resilience and the innovation within the Australian agriculture industry um, means that that is usually an obstacle that we can surpass. 
Absolutely. And Tess, you make a number of great points there. Let's let's start with the weather one, for example. Yep, we haven't quite worked out how to harness that one yet. So we in Australian agriculture all know that every day is one day closer to the next drought. They're going to happen. Australian agriculture has worked with droughts for a very long time. So if we're looking forward to the next decade, it is how to every time we have a drought to make sure that we as an agricultural sector are better prepared for the inevitability of it. Uh, whether it is livestock producers, whether it is grain producers, whether it's banks, whether it's processors, exporters, ready for that. On the other side of it, and we've also been caught unprepared by how good things have been. Arguably, for example, our port export for grain is set up for a good crop, but not for a great one. And we know that when we've seen record crops, that has created some issues, whether it's with bottlenecks or being able to get things out. So it will take a realistic appraisal, uh, not throwing money at it, but a realistic appraisal and working together between the industry, government, investors, uh, and other stakeholders as well to make sure our export potential is at its best capacity for the next 10 years because the next 10 years aren't going to see any reduction in geopolitical volatility and that leads to food insecurity where countries will be increasingly keen to make sure their people have access to enough food they will be looking to buy more to put it in storage and we're seeing massive amounts of uh, storage not just in grain but in things such as dairy powders even in meat as well so that export demand is going to be there we have to absolutely be able to fit it. Your question also talked about some of the the other things that Australia will need to do to maximise on the potential of the next 10 years. And the report, when everybody reads it, maps these out in five distinct points. And that is about making sure that the capital that is coming into Australian agriculture, that we don't take it for granted. It's been more than was forecast, but we have to make sure that we continue as Australian agriculture to market everything about why Australia should be the destination of choice for investment into agriculture from global capital providers, making the most of the new technology that's out there, utilising the, the tools and the metrics for sustainability for, for all aspects. And that is a giant umbrella, obviously, the sustainability tag, everything from carbon credits to efficient management and all parts of that. As Tash, you said in detail, um, always improving that whole trade landscape. And finally, cohesion. Um, there will always be disagreement in Australian agriculture. You don't get uh, positive change without having a range of different opinions in there and bouncing off each other. But if there is constructive discussion between the industry, between government, between the private sector, between banks and everybody else, uh, and that discussion continues, then that is a way that things will go forward. That was on air by ANZ Institutional. Be sure to like, follow or subscribe to hear more. This podcast is intended as thought leadership material. It is not published with the intention of providing any direct or indirect recommendations or to influence any person to make a decision in relation to any financial product or class of financial products. It is general in nature and does not take account of the circumstances of any individual or class of individuals. For further information, please refer to the full disclaimer at institutional.anz.com.